KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Sabrina Boyd Serka. When this pandemic started, of course, we all had to change some things, both as a society and for ourselves. But now we're two years in, and as we're starting to come to terms with the fact that COVID might be around for a while, how many of those changes really stuck? What about 10 years from now? Will we still see traces of what COVID left behind? I asked Dr. Laura A. Simonoff, Dean at Temple's College of Public Health and a professor of social and behavioral sciences, for her thoughts on what the pandemic may have changed permanently, and maybe what we learned that we still need to change. So we obviously made some big changes two years ago when this pandemic started, the biggest one being staying home for a while, the Mm -hmm. whole lockdown. I heard some people say that it kind of forced them to slow down, look inward, focus on time with their family, things like that. Now we're two years in, things are opening up again. It seems like people are really eager to get back out. Do you think we really did learn to slow down? Did any of that stuff kind of stick? Well, you know, I think, first of all, we need to remember that about 40% of people were able to really work from home. But another 60% really weren't. These were all the essential, so-called essential workers, right? And um, and that's a huge definition. Anything from somebody who's um, works in a grocery store and checks out your groceries to a physician in the hospital. So that's a huge swath of the population. We have to remember it's been very uneven. There are lots and lots of people who not only work from home, but they've continued to do that. And I think for for those individuals, what you say is perhaps much more relevant. So I think for a lot of people, they're saying to themselves, there are certain things that I can do in my work life that are actually done much better at home. I'm more efficient. I'm more effective. On the other hand, there are a lot of people that have been finding this really difficult Um, You know, you and I, we live in Philadelphia. Um, Not everybody has a really large place to work. If you've got lots of people in a small apartment or a very small house, um, working from home can be very, very difficult. You know, and finally, I think women have been very disadvantaged. And we can talk a little bit about that. But I do agree with you. There are certain elements of this that I think a lot of people want to keep and particularly, you know, on cold winter days, as opposed to getting out in the freezing cold to get to your eight, nine o'clock meeting. Why can't I just do this on Zoom and get into the office in a more leisurely fashion? Yeah, I think a lot of people want to keep that. So it sounds like the question of what's going to stick around long term. I mean, I'm thinking like, 10 years down the line, you know, when Mm -hmm. COVID is hopefully mostly a thing of the past and we were just talking about memories, the question of what's going to stick around is almost more individual than it is on a like societal level. I I think what we need to realize is that, um, and we've seen this in the pandemic, that we don't have all equal access to resources, types of jobs we hold, the conditions that we live in. And so I think we need to look at it. Different types of communities and populations are going to adapt in different 
types of changes. I also think we need to realize that um, your lifelong habits die really hard. For example, the very beginning of the pandemic, remember when we really were unclear exactly how COVID was transmitted, there was a lot, a lot of emphasis on washing your hands. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the main mechanism of transmission is through the air, right? The particles that we breathe out. So we were told we didn't need to wear a mask. We should wash our hands. And we, I think a lot of people, myself included, started compulsively washing their hands. I mean, my hands were raw yep. <laughs> washing. I was doing when it became, when the data came out, it was apparent that, you know, that was a reasonably minor form of transmission. It was your, the mask that was needed. I, I didn't go back to my admittedly somewhat sloppy way of hand washing, but I wasn't as compulsive about it anymore. But I do think there are things that are going to sort of stick, but maybe not in the kind of more extreme way that we're living right now. Mental health is one of the things that we hear a lot about. And I think there has been more of a focus on mental health than ever because of this pandemic. And I mean, the harm of the sort of trauma that we have all collectively been through mm -hmm. is not going away quickly. Do you yeah. think that the the way that we approach mental health is something that might that might have changed during the pandemic and could could continue, whether it's in terms of access or just the stigma that is still a little bit out there, but maybe is less than it used to be? Mm -hmm. I think that more people experienced, you know, mental health problems. And by that, I, I don't mean that, like, they needed to even necessarily go to a doctor, but they found themselves more anxious, suffering from some measure of periodic depression. People certainly the first year reported disruptive sleep, nightmares, you know, sort of these COVID nightmares, and just general, much higher levels of stress. Um, I think that certain individuals were impacted, people in healthcare environments, and they continue to suffer from stress. But I also think that um, if you take a look at the, the very young and the very old have been differentially and seriously impacted the very old because they were highly, highly isolated. The very young, and this continues because they've been highly isolated. Families that have very young children who have yet to even be able to be considered for vaccination, I think continue to be suffering. Uh, my own granddaughter who was born just a few months right before the pandemic hit, I saw in her, as it's been reported, she clearly was having delays in speech development. When she finally got to go out, I mean, just I remember in a grocery store, she was just mm -hmm. like, where am I? Like everything she saw in her life was either just her house or on a screen, right? She yeah. would see children on a playground eventually, and she would kind of hang back from them. So I, I think that, you know, examining how the COVID children, the ones that were born right before or in the pandemic, I think really warrant consideration. 
we've had a huge uptick in substance abuse, in um, overdoses. And I think as a society, we can't afford to continue to ignore this. And I'm hoping that this has been really brought front and center to policy and lawmakers that the way we fund our mental health system, and I would not really call it a system, it's just very fragmented. And even the way insurance works for those people who really do have insurance, it's not great. And maybe there'll be a groundswell from people who have experienced now, perhaps for the first time in their lives, feelings of serious anxiety, depression, to, to really start saying, yeah, it, any of us could have these issues. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you bring up the the COVID children because I have a nephew who was born during the pandemic out in San Diego. I have a lot of friends who have had kids and they're getting to know their families over a screen exactly. to the point where, you know, their grandparents, they, they see an iPad and they recognize their grandparents on it. Mm-hmm. But like, would they recognize them in person? I don't know. So that has to be shaping their brains in mm-hmm. in some kind of way that maybe we won't know for another 10 or 20 years. And, and we won't. And I, I, I'm, I'm not a child develop, development specialist, but I know colleagues who I'm sure will be doing research on this for, for a very long time. And then there's really the tragedy of really our, our very oldest people who mm-hmm. were, have been in nursing homes, been totally isolated, who, you know, you're like, oh, well, it's just a year or two. Well, when you're in your late 80s or 90s, a year or two is could be your lifetime. Right. And that's been another, I think, real tragedy. And, and there's definitely been reports that um, older people have had some real serious problems, including if you're in a nursing home and you're not getting that kind of stimulation because everybody's in lockdown, that really has a deleterious effect on on cognitive function. And then there's also students right now. You know, oh, I'm, yeah. I was thinking about with the, the changes in the workforce, there is kind of a generation, at least a couple of years of people who are starting work in this environment and don't know what it's like to not work from home. There's also this generation of people who are starting school, whether it's someone, you know, kindergartners or now like second graders who have never had a normal school year or college students. And of course, you work with college students. So what are you seeing in in them in terms of like how they have dealt with this and what their future, I guess, might be mm-hmm. like? Is Are they going to approach work and, and things like that differently? So I do think that for individuals who are considerably younger, they've either just started entering the workforce or they're currently in school. Many of them are not really sort of saying, oh, I have to take this salary. I have to take these hours. We've seen with restaurant workers who have demanded better wages, better benefits and, and better hours and not such chaotic scheduling, which restaurant workers have. For, for our college students, particularly the ones that either were like our undergraduates about to graduate or just coming in, I think it's been hard for them. Well, I know it's been hard for them. You know, when you think about what your freshman year is going to be like, you don't think about it sitting 
somewhere either at home or an apartment or a dorm on a Zoom screen. That's that's not anyone's ideal for their yeah. college. Also, a lot of students work. They have to supplement their dollars with working part-time while they're going to school. For a lot of them, that was extremely difficult, particularly when things locked down because they were out of a job. So all of these things have really caused an enormous amount of amount of stress. And then finally, thinking about my my graduating classes over the last two years, we've had to do these um, distant um, graduations. And there's nothing more exciting, particularly really our undergraduates, but our graduate students too, of walking across the stage and getting your diploma and having your family in the audience. And, you know, in the scheme of things, sometimes you think, well, it's, it's trivial compared to the almost million people who have died in this country, but it's not. I mean, this is your you know, the thing you were looking forward to and and it didn't happen and it had to happen in a different way. And, you know, we try to make it work as best as possible. I mean, this is going to be the first time we're going to have a really proper, I hope, in-person <laughs> graduation um, for our college this year. So hopefully everybody be happy. Um, and the other thing that we've had to do is try to figure out how to teach certain things not in person. I'll tell you one thing we, our college figured out was that very, very, very large lecture classes where you've got hundreds plus students, you know, just, and it's just a lecture. A lot of that works better online. Hmm. You deliver the lecture, you video, you videotape it. Nobody has to get out to get to an 8 a.m. class if they don't want to be there. Everybody can be awake while, while they watch it. And then we'd have much more emphasis on small group breakouts and tutorial sessions rather than just everybody cramming into a room to just to watch a, a lecture. I think the other thing is the, you know, um, younger children. So I think we found out a few things. Um, really young children, they may like to watch a lot of videos, right? And they may like to watch stuff online. They're fascinated, but they don't learn very well that way. You need to be older to learn well online. And I think the other thing that we found is women seriously are still burdened with the major role of childcare. I noticed amongst uh, our employees at the college, all of our faculty and our staff, that the people who were struggling to do their jobs and take care of their children who were then at home were almost entirely women. And somehow all of that just evolved on, devolved onto them. So I would say to all the women in America, think about that and hold your, hold your partners accountable. <laughs> no, I'm serious about that. I, Every once in a while, I couldn't help but say to somebody, what about your your husband? And they go, I thought he'd be better, but he's not. Wow. So I think we have seriously ways to go. Yeah, it's that's really disappointing to hear. But well, what, you, what did you find with your friends who had children? And it's a good question. Um, <laughs> I did find some of my friends who I was surprised stopped working for longer. And mm -hmm. I, that could be a combination of childcare 
the the ability to do you know subcontract mm-hmm. work and things like that from home um and we're fortunate enough to have spouses who could could pay the bills but yeah i guess that was yeah. interesting that it's still the default is still the mm-hmm. women are going to be the ones who mm-hmm. make that decision yeah including caring for an older person. I mean, caregiving continues to primarily be a task of women Mm. in the United States. And I think we really, really got a very good view of that. Women definitely, you know, were more likely to leave their jobs, uh, lose income and and have to to shoulder this. And I think that's why a much higher percentage of women have reported mental health stress issues as compared to men. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'll ask Dr. Simonoff about how our social interactions have changed and how we got so used to these new routines that now it's kind of hard to go back. Stay with us. We're back with KYW News Radio in depth. I'm talking with Dr. Laura A. Simonoff of Temple University about what changes we've made during the pandemic that we might actually keep. I want to talk a little bit about social interactions because, of course, we were all forced to stay in for a while. Mm-hmm. Kind of got used to. I mean, I still have Zoom conversations with some of my friends, which had the bright side of I can connect with friends who live mm-hmm. anywhere. But then also I am relearning how to do small talk, like genuinely coming back into the office was a little bit difficult. So what what could the long-term effects of that be either? I mean, there could be good and bad to it, right? Definitely. I I think that um, looking at, you know, using Zoom to speak to people, to keep connected, in some ways that's a, that's a good thing because I don't think we were doing that before. Before we were, people were relying more on things like Facebook and texting or whatever, but it is good to see people and talk with them. Texting is not a substitution for a real conversation. So I think that actually is a good thing because I've noticed that particularly um, millennials and younger, you know, the phone was a <laughs> not something to talk on, but to text and do other things on. So the fact that people have learned that, you know, just uh, texting or typing something. It's not really a conversation. Um, On the other hand, I still think that a lot of people, people become kind of lazy about going out. (laughs) It's like, do I really want to get up and go out? I think it's going to be a while. I, I think we'll all get over it, to be honest. I think it's going to be a while though. I think there's a lot of people who are still very anxious about getting COVID Um, I think there are still people who maybe they were, you know, they're not as extroverted as others, and now they're kind of in their shell. So this is going to be a while. I also think there's a lot of people are like, wait and see, like, sure, because the pandemic really isn't over. It really isn't. I mean, we have the numbers of cases have dropped down. People feel like, well, if I get it, I'm not going to die from it. So we are all taking more risks. I mean, I've gone out to restaurants in the last month and I, it it was fun because it was like, oh, I'm in a restaurant. Isn't this exciting? You know, I used to go to restaurants all the time. It's one of the wonderful things about Philly. We have so many great restaurants and yet, 
you know, I saved a lot of money not going out to restaurants. But it is interesting when I first time I was like, wow, I'm in a restaurant. This is exciting. I'm not outside. I'm in the restaurant. But I was also a little bit anxious. Yeah. From sort of a cognitive perspective, I'm curious why I guess our habits can change so much so quickly. You know, I mean, I'm in the same boat where like, it feels kind of weird to be close to someone without a mask on or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always mask is in my pocket, even though the indoor mandate has been lifted. I went my whole life up until two years ago, mm-hmm. not wearing a mask and being used to like going out all the time. But now, yeah, it does feel hard for me to get the energy to go out on a weekend or sometimes I just don't want to see people in person I guess, why did it only take two years to so strongly reverse instincts that we've been developing our whole lives to the point where it's hard to turn them back now? I mean, we all have we all have cognitive frameworks within which we we function. I mean, there's sort of habits, but I think of habits like um, if you want to talk about a true habit, like, you know, smoking or whatever. And then there's there's like behaviors that are highly routinized and they become highly routinized because we need to perform certain activities all the time. If you had to actually think about how to do, like if every time you woke up in the morning, you had to say to yourself, okay, now how am I going to go about my morning routine to get myself dressed ready so I can go out and do my day. If you literally had to sit and consider that for several minutes, even that would be very difficult and not productive. Mm. So we develop not necessarily habits, but routines that we just practice over and over. And we know like, even in our work life, there's certain things that we do. We come into our office. We tend to do those things. Those are the, those are the things that help us, structure our lives and get us through our days a little more effectively and efficiently. Now, when that becomes highly disrupted, like it was, we have to create new things for ourselves so that we're not just, you know, running around, you know, trying to figure out what we're doing with ourselves. So it's been two years. So most people have created new routines for themselves and new sort of habits of being And now as things are opening up, you are considering a a variety of things like, what am I going to be doing now? You know, am I really going out to a restaurant? Because then you're saying to yourself, and what are the risks for that? Am I seeing this person? You know, what are the risks for that? Not that I don't like them anymore, but I know they, they have these types of children. They're unvaccinated. Um, somebody is a healthcare provider, they could be exposed. So all of these things are really how you make decisions. And you're not necessarily even doing it on a conscious level, but you're weighing all that. And then if you think about what the lessons that you personally learned from the pandemic, did you take it seriously? Did you think you were you had personal risk for it? Or maybe people you live with have personal risk. Now, there are many, many people unfortunately, to my mind, as a public health professional, who just didn't believe that this was a serious problem. 
they didn't believe that they could be infected and they didn't believe that if they were infected, they would get seriously sick. They didn't understand how transmissible this was. So they did completely different things. Now, there were people who got COVID as a result and have changed and other people who just, I mean, the reports of individuals who, as they lay in the hospital, refused to believe that they had COVID. So in terms of our habits and our, our routinization, those will gradually change because human beings are infinitely adaptable. They really are. They're, I, they're very, it's one of the reasons we're so successful as a species. So we're very adaptable, but it won't happen all at once. And it surely won't happen completely until we're all completely convinced that we have the this virus under control, which unfortunately 10 years from now, it's not actually ever probably going away, but it's gonna become more like other things like the flu or whatever that we see and we all function with. Now, one of the habits I would hope as a public health professional that I would see people adopt is that if you're sick, don't go to work, don't, expose and that that's the flu too the flu is a very serious disease mm -hmm. so and that workplaces will not automatically say you have to take a sick day but are you well enough that you could just function from home so hopefully that's something that we'll adopt or b i'm not feeling well i am going to wear a mask and you see people in asia doing that so i don't expose other people as a public health professional I would be eternally grateful if everybody <laughs> could learn to do that. You know, we we definitely still see things in medical care, maybe even in like what we do day to day, that are results of previous epidemics or pandemics, whether it was AIDS or the flu or smallpox or anything. We don't realize it on a day-to-day -day basis. I mm -hmm. couldn't tell you what those things are. Do you think that there's anything maybe in uh, the medical field or maybe in the day-to-day -day, that Maybe it's not 10 years, maybe it's 20 years. It's the the kids who are have just been born won't realize that this became a thing during COVID and it will still be a thing down the line. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's certainly been medical technologies that have really advanced, like the mRNA vaccines. Those were, people always say, well, how could they have just created that? Well, that technology has been developing for 20 years but it was sort of put on steroids. They shoved you know, billions at it and you know, that helped to really move that technology from where it was to now where it is. And it has a lot of other utilities um, than what we're seeing right now. So I do think that some certain medical technologies uh, and knowledge have really gotten a, a giant push behaviors. I don't know, it'll be interesting to see whether we do approach like our mental health issues differently. If we continue to be aware that there are real disparities, economic, social, and that those things create help to create our individual health. And it's and we could see it's not just simply whether you were exposed to the virus. There are a lot of factors that went into what happened to you. So I think that remains to be seen, whether we take on those lessons or not. I, I would hope we 
could take on the lesson that we're not just a bunch of individuals, but we really are a community of all very different but interconnected individuals and that that my health affects your health, affects another person's health. But I don't know. That, that would be a great lesson that if we could um, sort of realize that caring for others is caring for ourselves, that would be one of the best lessons we could take from this. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa, and we'll have another episode out soon.